When you buy Kroger brand products, you feel like you're winning. That's because they offer proven quality at lower than low prices. In fact, we guarantee that you and your family will love how Kroger brand products taste. Or you get your money back. So next time you're shopping for the family, look for delicious Kroger brand products. Because they'll make you all feel like you're winning. Shop now, in-store, or online. Kroger. Fresh for everyone. Hey, everyone. This is Jody Sweeten from the podcast How Rude, Tanneritos. I've been needing a quick getaway with my family, and the 2024 Hyundai Santa Fe is the perfect vehicle to take us there. It has standard third-row seating, so I'm able to pack my entire family, plus pets, in the car while also having enough room for our camping essentials. Available H-Track all-wheel drive will get us through any dirt trails, and available dual wireless charging pads will ensure we never have to worry about getting stuck with a dead phone in the middle of nowhere. Visit HyundaiUSA.com. Or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. The BMW i4 M50. It's 100% electric and 100% BMW. Experience the power of over 500 horses stampeding at a whisper as BMW M-engineered handling takes you through every twist and turn. The complete suite of intuitive technology keeps you connected. The pure performance keeps your heart racing. The BMW i4 M50. Silence has never said so much. BMW, the ultimate electric driving machine. I know you'll be alright Even when times get hard And you feel like you're in the dark You will see Just how beautiful life can be When you soften your heart You can finally start To live your truthiest life It's your host, Lisa Haim. Welcome back to The Truthiest Life. And I'm so excited to bring you this episode and introduce you to this kick-ass guest. It's my friend, Wenjay, who I had the pleasure of meeting in real life a few times, actually, you'll learn. But she's one of those people who is out there on a mission, not trying to be famous, just trying to live out her life's purpose, which is to bring local and nutritious food to those that need it in like a cool, fun way. Given that Wenjay's job is in the grocery sphere, we're going to learn so much, which I think is just so interesting, especially in the context of COVID, how her business shifted essentially overnight, how she became an essential worker, what it was like to be an essential worker while also being Chinese American and kind of serving her people, but in a country where she felt very undervalued. We talk a lot about being Chinese American at the very end of the episode, but I really think it's worth a listen to really understand what it's like to be from here and yet feel like you don't belong. I don't know, I don't, you know, identify as racist, but this past year has certainly opened my eyes up to the micro harm that I have caused in the past. And I think it's important to even take personal ownership and recognition without having my back against the wall. Oh, I'm not a racist. I'm not a racist. It's only when I sit here and really can be like, "Mm, well, I could be better about the way I think about these things or the jokes that I've made. Can I really show up as a better person? And we have such an interesting conversation because Wenjie, Chinese American, loves to serve her people like, and her people are Americans and she loves this country. And through that lens, we talk about patriotism and what it means to actually love your country. And I think that word kind of got smudged over the last few years of what it means. It means we're a great country and we can't do better. 
but it's really interesting to hear what it means to Wenjie, and I really love everything she has to say. That's at the end, so I don't want you to miss that. If you trail off, definitely head back there. But yeah, this is so interesting. I hope that you enjoy it because a lot of what is in here when it comes to eating locally and seasonally, I had to go to grad school to really learn about the impact on our food system, on our health, and on our planet. And no one should have to go to grad school to have to really think about food in this way. We talk about the cost of convenience. Sorry, I'm giving away the whole episode. I just think there's so much here that is kind of like high level. Have you ever thought about food in this way? And I want to make sure that you don't miss a beat because I think it'll really transform not just the way you think about food, but your relationship to it and really maybe your next choice that you possibly make and how that can be positively or negatively impacting yourself, those you love, or just local people around you or those far away even. We're all in a part of a big ecosystem and I'm just so excited for you to meet Wenjay. So without further ado, I want to wish you a happy, we freaking made it to spring. The weather's so nice. I'm feeling great. If you can't hear it in my voice, just sat outside listening to this episode, soaking it all in with my bare feet out in the grass. Don't forget to do some earthing, stick your feet into the earth. Take advantage if you're somewhere where the weather is getting warmer and you've been inside for quite some time like me and allow yourself to smile. Sending you all my love. Thanks for being here. Let's dive into this episode with Wenjay. Welcome back to The Truthiest Life. Today's guest, I'm so excited for you to meet. Her name is Wenjay and we actually connected over a year ago because it was pre-pandemic, believe it or not, hosted by a company called Malibu Milk. And I had heard of Wenjay before, but you know, I, I get to meet some awesome people or I used to get to meet in person, some awesome people, but there's few that I walk away being like, okay, I want to be her friend. But the second Wenjay, the second you spoke, the second I saw you, I was like, this woman is powerful and awesome. And I just needed to know more. So I'm so excited that my audience gets to meet you and all the amazing things that you're doing. Oh my God. I don't know if I'm just really emotional, but I almost just started crying. <laughs> that was so sweet. You really are, are special. And one thing about this podcast, what I wanted to do was bring on the amazing people that I had the opportunity to meet in real life. They don't need to be huge celebrities. They don't need to be, you know, the biggest influencers in the world. Sure. Sometimes those people can be awesome too, but when you meet like real people doing the real work in this world, like you and working on a very grassroots level to make it a better, cleaner, safer, more sustainable place. I mean, those are the real heroes that I'm interested in talking about and, you know, hopefully spreading your mission and using your brain to spread that knowledge as, as far around as we can. Cool. And actually, did you know, fun fact, that the first time we actually met was not at that Oh, no. When did panel. we meet? We met one time when you were doing some kind of like consulting. It was like oh a- Oh, my God. A mind, body, green retreat. Oh, yes. And- I think like everyone had like 10 minutes to like talk to nutritionists. <laughs> yeah. Honestly, a lot of those situations, I kind of like black out. Like I have a really good memory. If I meet you once, I'll know you. But when I shift into like work mode, sometimes I get like fuzzier because I'm not like me. I'm like me serving you, if that makes sense. It's like speed dating for nutrition yes. advice. It was. It was a it was a strange situation. I forgot about that. Interesting. And also my nervous system in those situations is like a little bit heightened. So I'm not like the me me, you know, I don't know. But Pub public speaking is kind of a different form where I could like listen. And when you spoke, I was like, 
whoa. So, okay, cool. We have a little bit more history that I forgot about. Let's kind of talk about the past year for you. What has the past year been like? Oh my God. I don't even know what happened when, like it, it's weird because it feels like so much happened and so much did, but it's also questionable. Like, did the past year even happen? Like it's, to me, it feels like a dream part of it or a nightmare for part of it. So I'm still trying to remind myself that those things actually happened in real life. So last year, I was actually in China when the pandemic started. Oh, I remember being in Shanghai. My, my brother lives out there. And I was asking my mom, I was like, hey, there's this thing on the news. Should we be worried about this? <laughs> she was like, no, it's so far from here. I was like, great. <laughs> Little did we know things would take a turn for the worse. So what month was that? It was probably like January 2nd that okay. I saw the news. And then I had traveled through Japan after that. And I came back to America. Like, I don't think I brought anything here because I never got sick. Right. But it's just so crazy to think like it's been that long. Anyway, so once March hit and we realized, you know, like on the news, the city was thinking about shutting down. Like there was so much unknown. And my staff was actually like, you know, I think we should shut the business down. Like we don't really know how to be operating. I thought about it. And okay, so there's two parts. As a small business, you really cannot take a break from what you do because there's a very, very high chance you will never be able to return back to your customers. Mm. Customers really rely on consistency, especially with groceries. Groceries are part of like your everyday life. It's not like we're selling like very couture sweatpants. Yeah, and uh, sorry, just I should have asked this out the door. Let's talk just about what Local Roots is and then we'll dive deeper as we kind of like learn more about it. But just so people understand what your small right, business right. Good is. Good point, good point. Okay, so my small business I'm talking about that I was, I'm saving through the pandemic, it's called Local Roots NYC. I started this in 2000. 2011, and we are a subscription-based farmer's market, um, essentially a modernized CSA. And you can pre-order organic veggies, farm fresh fruit, pasteurized eggs, anything that's sustainable and local from a local farm or vendor we carry. So you pre-order this food, and then you either opt to pick it up at one of our pop-up locations throughout Brooklyn or Manhattan, or you can get it delivered. So we deliver to Brooklyn, Manhattan, and Queens. So we're essentially bringing the farmer's market right to New Yorkers. And so once the pandemic hit, I realized, okay, like as a small business that delivers groceries, which is part of someone's everyday lifestyle, you can't take a break because people will forget about you. It's really hard to acquire new customers and everything we've done through Local Roots for the past 10 years, we don't put money into marketing. Everything we've done has been grown organically, word of mouth. And when you stop being able to deliver a product to someone they're just going to naturally go somewhere else, right? Mm -hmm. And another part was that like, I really believe in building community. That's kind of like, that was the inspiration for Local Roots 10 years ago. I didn't want to let down our community, especially during the pandemic when people really needed nutritious food, but they also really needed a food option that was consistent, reliable, and probably not at the supermarket, like waiting mm -hmm. lines, you know. I would feel like I really failed as a citizen of... New York City, if I wasn't able to provide that product to people, it really means a lot to me to be able to feed people. So with that in mind, I was like, we're going to move forward and stay in business. And throughout this pandemic, we don't know how long it's going to last. But I think my staff was like, it'll just be like two weeks. And I was like, mm. because I was in China when it first started, I was like, it's not going to be two weeks, you right. know, like I saw the beginning of it and how long ago that was. So it was really crazy, you know, like my warehouse manager decided like he wasn't comfortable going into the warehouse. So 
I took his spot in the warehouse. So I had to like relearn everything in that warehouse. We had at that point, really two people on staff, a warehouse manager and like another manager who kind of oversees everything else. So essentially to be able to do what we're going to do, I had to like within 48 hours hire 20 employees between working in the warehouse and delivering. We used to deliver to about 10 people throughout the city because the rest of our customers were picking up from markets. The pop-ups and yeah. Yeah. So if going from 10 people to like 500, we you had like that many to people. That. Oh my gosh. Yeah. Yeah. And like logistically, like talking to customers, Hey, do you mind? Like, can you do delivery? So it's like communicating customers to change over their orders from pickup to delivery, us figuring out how to even route these things. Yeah. Like it's, whole new business. Yeah. Driving in, in New York city is not fun. So like routing, getting drivers, figuring out how we're going to do things and like with everything being safe through COVID, buying a bunch of masks, buying a bunch of gloves, like all these little things that seem like really normal now. But a year ago, like you remember, like you couldn't even buy toilet paper. So mm -hmm. everything was like super scarce. And then every day, like every week, our, our numbers would grow by like 500, Gross. 700, 800, 1,000. Your we customers actually had a, were growing during the pandemic. Yeah, so we actually had to cap it. We didn't want to take on customers to a point where we would have an unreliable service, you know, mm. because we knew that we were still constantly learning about what we were doing. And I hope everyone now understands why you are so unique. You know, you weren't like, okay, let me keep this business going to put the roof over my head. That's not even what you said. I let me keep this business going because people rely on us because people need nutritious food. That's a very different place that you're driven from compared to where most businesses operate from more, 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 more. We'll figure it out more, 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 more. And then they usually, you know, implode or the customer just feels really disconnected to the product by the end of it. Yeah. I mean, like we're here for the long run, right? So like, I don't ever want to make someone feel like we screwed them over. I don't want someone to feel like disappointed by us we were constantly growing and every day I was like working 14 hour days you know it's like wake up at 5 a.m put on like my whole mask I had like an N95 mask which is super tight because I have a big head and then I'm like wearing tons of layers so the warehouse is cold you know this whole staff we had we had hired a bunch of former restaurant workers and that was really great to be able to support them yeah and for me I'm like constantly training these new people and also just learning things myself along the way, right? So it was like a little chaotic, but I remember days like I'd be working in the warehouse and like never even stops to go to the bathroom, you know, like I'd be working from like 6am till 4pm. And then I would go home and take like a two hour like break. And then I'm writing emails and doing like computer stuff until like midnight. So the days are super long, which is why I think I just don't remember most of it. <laughs> yeah, especially you're just it just becomes a blur when you're awake for so many hours and juggling so many things. Yeah, uh, but I didn't realize the business was doing really well, even though it was essentially a brand new business and model and, you know, a whole new thing that you had to figure out. So that's great. Did those customers stay on as the supermarkets became a little bit more normal? Yeah, I mean, it's kind of hard. I, we're not very good at like, keeping track of percentages. Mm -hmm. I would say it's my type of girl. Yeah, I'm not that kind of girl. It's, I, it definitely drops. And I think part of it is actually a lot of people have moved out of New York, you know, yeah. like mm -hmm. when you walk around the city now, you can tell like it's not at full capacity at all. So I think after the summertime, well, midsummer, you could tell people were, everyone's moving upstate. 
everyone's moving to Jersey, Connecticut. It's definitely devastating to hear how many people have left. I totally understand why people would leave New York City. But you know, something's interesting. People don't think about that. If you don't run a business, you don't think about this where I could say we grew our sales by like 10 times more sales. It doesn't mean we're making 10 times more profit, you know, because Mm -hmm. like the expenses to be doing delivery. Right. You said you hired 20 new people. Yeah. Like the staff and the expenses of like, I mean, how many gloves we went through, you know, because everyone, there's so much fear that you like use one, you touch something, you like people will throw it out and get another one. So just like the supplies you need during the pandemic is so much higher. We bought a bunch of masks for everyone. And I mean, like one guy I was delivering, like there was a building had collapsed in Carroll Gardens, like completely collapsed. And it was like all the streets were shut down. Our driver couldn't get to this address. So I like, I live in the neighborhood. So I walked over there and I just like got the box and delivered, hand walked it to this guy. But he was like, you know, I think this was in the summertime. So he's like, I haven't left my house in like three months. Like, (laughs) so he's like, so I really rely on this delivery to come every single week. So it's really amazing just to hear about how, we were really part of New York City. Yeah. And you were an essential worker. I mean, it's just, it's amazing. So just to kind mm-hmm. of back up and zoom out a little bit and provide everybody with a little bit more information, not everybody's a New Yorker and even the New Yorkers, you know, might not know what a CSA is. So what is a CSA and what are the benefits of a CSA as well as what you provide? CSA stands for Community Supported Agriculture. The idea is to have a direct connection or a closer connection to a local farmer. So the benefits of a CSA is you're getting this really fresh produce from a local farmer. You're supporting a local economy. If you get a farmer that grows organically, you know, then you're getting organic food and it's reliable and you're eating seasonally, which I'm sure you always talk about as a nutritionist, but eating seasonally, having a variety of vegetables and different kinds of nutrients is just better for your body. And you're just being able to support, you're preserving farmland, right? You're constantly being able to support these farmers. They can constantly stay in business. So it's really a win-win for everyone. The, the farmer has reliable income from the CSA and the members of the CSA have a reliable source of really great food. And I remember learning about a CSA when I was in grad school and it sounded amazing. And I tried to sign up like year after year and there was always some sort of a big obstacle, like where I could pick it up or the day that I could pick it up at that exact hour. And it just didn't work with my, you know, schedule in life as a young 20 something year old with probably, you know, different types of priorities at the time. So how does local roots differ from a CSA? What gap are you filling? Yeah, I mean, I faced all those problems too, which is why I started Local Roots. You know, I was like, this pickup window at a church, it just didn't like somehow yeah. align my schedule. Right. The idea of going into a really quiet church to pick up my food just felt kind of gross to me. <laughs> I don't know. I, I guess I associate the only food with church is like the bread. <laughs> and you have to like then, carry this box all the way yeah. home, which like New York City, it could be blocks and blocks. And it's just like, it's a lot of food. Like I, I, I live alone. So most CSAs, it's just like a ton of food unless you mm-hmm. share it with someone. Right. And like, if I was, if I couldn't make it to pick up or if I was traveling, I was still, I'd have to like, I'm still paying for it. Mm-hmm. And it's a ton of money up front. So most CSAs you're pre-paying for nine months of food at one time. And you're committed to all those weeks. 
And most CSAs, you can't be putting your order on hold. So I just realized that, you know, New Yorkers have like a different pace of life. They have a different lifestyle. Mm -hmm. And so what Local Roots does is we have these three-month subscriptions instead of nine months. So it's easier on your wallet. It's less of a time commitment. And our shares, um, what we give every week is smaller. So it's really thinking about the size of uh, fridges in New York are smaller Mm -hmm. than, say, the suburbs. So we just can't, we can't even store this, this much food. So what we give is smaller and um, most CSAs are only vegetables. And to me, it didn't make sense. I'm like, there's a ton of say like meat farmers that are great people that would love the support of a CSA, right? So we offer not just vegetables, we offer meat, fruit, eggs, cheese. We want to be supporting a larger demographic of local economy. But it's customizable as well, right? Like, so if I don't want the meat or cheese and I just want the vegetables, I can get that, right? Exactly, yeah. So you can pick and choose which descriptions you want. And I think it's very on brand for who I am, but I really wanted the pickups to be fun. I really wanted to make grocery shopping a social event and something fun <laughs> that you look forward to. So our pickups are in bars and cafes. So you can grab a drink with a friend pre or post pandemic. And you also pick up your vegetables. So it's really nice to like, not have to go to a grocery store with like really bad music, really weird lighting, (laughs) lots of plastic, you know, like you go to our pickup points and there's a really happy market leader who's going to give you recipe ideas. We have minimal packaging. You can trust where the food came from. It's fun. You're seeing like the same person every week at the same Mm -hmm. location. It becomes a nice staple in your routine. Well, I I would say I wish that it was around when I was looking for it. But truth is, it was around since 2011. So I wish I knew about it because it's kind of that perfect fit of everything that a young person, I feel like specifically, is also kind of looking for. Our customer demographic really ranges, you know, I'd say most of our customers are young, like our age, but we also have like some really awesome people who are older that like I still have to teach how to use Instagram or like write me an email. (laughs) It makes me happy to see that we bring people together that are of all different ages and genders and they all just really love food as much as I do. And what, what drew you to food? Is it just a love of food? It's more like food justice. So what are your ties there? I wouldn't say I grew up a foodie, you know, like I didn't drool over some foods I like to eat for sure. But I fell in love with CSAs because of the way it brings people together. And I really fell in love with supporting local farms because as a New Yorker, it's this direct connection to nature. Mm -hmm. And with food, it's like, I think as I become more of like comfortable as in being a woman, my like female energy, food, it's, I'm also tapping into more of like more of my senses, I think. Mm. And food just touches upon so many senses if you allow it to, right? Like if you, like when I slice into a purple daikon radish we have from upstate, it's not just like, oh, I'm cutting something. It's not a chore. It's like, I will take a moment and actually look at it and like, oh my God, this is fucking gorgeous, right? It's so sexy it's so sensual. I can smell it. I can smell like the freshness of it. I can taste the peppery flavor notes. So to me, it's really like a little meditative when I see how beautiful food is. And it's also this really great way to share culture. You know, as like an Asian American, as a Chinese American, like to me, I can share a dish that I grew up eating and share a little bit about me if I can share that dish with someone. Yeah, I think food just has this really powerful way of bringing people together and making 
the world feel a little more simple and wholesome. A hundred percent. And just for, you know, I think the, the difficulty of where we are in society right now is that convenience is something that we praise. We want everything to be convenient. And for a long time, I never questioned that. It was like, yeah, this washed bag and washed chopped bag of romaine lettuce is more convenient for me. And so many of those little things added up in my life that resulted in food disconnection for me that I didn't realize until you scale it back and you take a moment and have even access to a radish like that and you see its colors and you're slicing it yourself and the flavors are coming out and it's like, wait a second, okay, we made things more quote unquote convenient by pre-chopping it, putting it in plastic, pre-washing it, all that stuff, but did it actually benefit us? Like it made us move so quickly that we got disconnected to something that is hit so many senses. Like you said, it, it can be that, that those few times in the day where you can be immersed in something just from your senses being ignited. And yet, you know, I talk about food all the time, especially relationships to food and all the ways that we've become disconnected. And it's like, we've, we've just taken so much of the experience out of it by making things convenient. And I think we really need to question convenience at this point if we can afford to. And by afford, I mean, you can make time in your life and you can spend maybe a little bit extra to support a local farmer uh, because that will improve your mental health and your quality of life. Yeah, I mean, you bring up a really great point about convenience where I don't know if it's like the older I get and I realize things like when you take shortcuts, you are cutting something out, right? Mm -hmm. To make something more convenient, to make something faster, you're cutting out a lot of steps that are there for a reason. A hundred percent. And it's like, it's like, what are you, what are you sacrificing, right? Yes, you're getting something whenever you want, right? It's on demand all the time. But what you're missing is what you are supposed to be getting, which is nutrition and flavor. So it's like all of a sudden food has become just a product and it's just a chore now, right? I have to be eating this salad. Mm. It's not like I get to eat this salad, you know? And I'm going to take that one step further to just talk about the digestive process and the act of chewing, which is something I'm really fascinated in and maybe it resonates with you. But we as a society chew so much less because of the processing that food undergoes, meaning we make things easier, more compact. You know, okay, I'm not going to have a salad for lunch, I'm going to grab this protein bar. You know, it's three bites and it's down, right? We're out the door. Or a burger even. It's it's three or four bites. Nothing wrong with a burger, but just think about the different foods that we used to eat, radishes and vegetables and all these different things. We're chewing less and our mouths have actually changed and evolved as a result. But when you take that part out of the picture, the time we're meant to actually chew and slow down is how our bodies communicate and prepare for food to arrive and to send signals back to us of like, yes, this tastes good or er, that actually isn't sitting right or you're filling up. All these hormonal things take a little bit of time and we've taken the time out of it because like you said, I have to eat a salad. I have to eat a salad fast, you know, and I'm going to eat it as, as quick as I can, as, as simple as... When's the last time you peeled an orange is a question that I, I like to ask my students. 
Like if you go to an airport, which I know we don't do very often, there's usually the option of fruit that comes in three ways. The apple that's wrapped in plastic, the banana or the orange. And most people choose the apple or the banana because it's the easiest, right? Like who wants to break into an orange, especially while traveling? But that hands-on opening of the orange, looking at the colors, you can't be actually on your phone and multitasking at the same time. The smells like burst into your nose and you, you know, your digestive process is actually beginning. And even just those little things, they have a big impact on our nutrition and our connection to food. So I, I think we're seeing a lot of digestive concerns, largely in part because of convenience. That's so interesting. But side note, I have a friend that actually bites into oranges and doesn't peel them. Wait, she does. She eats the skin. He just bites into the orange and sucks all the juice out with the it's skin. Like, yes, it's the weirdest thing. I mean, I eat the core <laughs> of an apple, like the seeds, and my family has always made fun of oh me. Oh my god, that's also weird. Yeah, so nothing's left behind for my apple. But you know what? I'm all about except the stem. Waste. Yeah, so if, I'm about reducing food waste. So if you're gonna do that, go for it. <laughs> It's just like, cause I mean, I'll be like in the car eating an apple and then I'm stuck with this, like, you know, yeah, yeah, browning inner side. I'm like, I'm just yeah. going to eat it. And then, you know, I, hopefully the stem I throw out, I feel not so bad about that. That's hilarious. Well, yes. But yeah, to your point, I, I never knew about the whole chewing thing, but you're definitely right. Plus, I mean, I eat things so fast, you know, like I think people probably view me as like, oh, I like meditatively eat and like. I've just like grown up on a farm or, you know, like that's not me. I grew up on Long Island. I went to malls all the time. I ate a bunch of Wonder Bread <laughs> and McDonald's all the time. Auntie I, loved, I loved White Castle up until I was like 23. You know, like, I'm all about that fast food life until I discovered local food. And what I'm going to say that like when you make shortcuts, you're also sacrificing the land and the environment, right? Mm. You can see our world is like, it's a fast economy, right? Like, okay, so take for example, businesses, right? You inject a whole ton of investment money in something to get the most profit as quick as possible. And most of those businesses go out of business because they cannot be sustainable. They can't have a long-term longevity like that. That happens a lot to businesses. So you think about um, the way food is, right? Like let's get the cheapest and quickest products to people and not even think about the long-term effects, which means that people are going to have health issues mm. that were deteriorating a land that the UN is telling us that there's 60 harvests left before we cannot grow in the soil anymore, right? So like we're stripping the nutrients out of the land and no one cares or no one's even thinking about it because, hey, we're getting food in a cheap way mm. and we're getting food that's convenient all the time. So it's like, yeah, maybe it's convenient, quote unquote, right now, but like, hey, did you think about what's going to happen to you and to the environment? And it's not even going to happen when we all die. It's like, it's going to happen when we're alive. You know, you're going to feel the effects of it in 10 years in your health. You're going to see the effects of it. You can see the effects of it now on the earth, right? Mm -hmm. So I think we have to just realize these shortcuts, things are being sacrificed so that you can have something in your The community. whole ecosystem is being affected by these changes. And I don't sit here pretending to be perfect. I hope, you know, my audience knows that. But I sit here awake to the fact that my choices have an impact. And as somebody who can afford to spend a little bit extra, it's, you know, my, my duty, I guess, to really 
avoid convenience as much as I can. And I say that just from a personal place of I work from home. I have, you know, time to give to preparing my meals. I don't have children at the time I have a baby on the way. I think everybody's in unique situations and needs to choose what's best for them. But I, I believe that in where I am, not taking shortcuts when I can in the very obvious places is something that I, you know, aim to do. Rain or shine, every day is a great day for fishing, right? You got rain gear, but you can't overlook sunny day gear. A Columbia PFG Solar Stream Elite hoodie has you covered on the sunniest days. Like literally. I mean, who wouldn't trade a sunburn for a trophy fish? But why do it if you don't have to? Especially when this Solar Stream Elite hoodie is built with broad spectrum UV protection. We're talking UPF 50, and it has airflow so you don't overheat. And what's the alternative? Putting down the rod every half hour so you can slather on some sunscreen. Seems like an easy choice to be. Columbia PFG has you covered with their Castback TC shoe. Its OmniMax cushioning and traction system helps if you're on your feet a lot, say, fighting a fish. Not to mention keeping you sure-footed on a wet, rocking boat. So if you're going to be spending long days out on the water, and I sincerely hope that you will be, head over to Columbia.com PFG and shop all their performance fishing gear. This is it. Your moment. This is your time to make your comeback with Purdue Global. When you come back with a Purdue Global degree, you create opportunity for yourself, your family, and your future. It's a degree you can be proud of, a degree that employers will trust and respect. Purdue Global offers working adults like you over 175 flexible degree programs to meet your specific career goals. These include associate, bachelor's, master's, and doctoral degrees and certificates. Purdue Global degree programs range from nursing to business to communication and more. Whatever your interest, we have the degree that will move you forward. You have the knowledge. You have the experience. Now it's time to get credit for the work you've done and earn the recognition you deserve with Purdue Global. Purdue's online university for working adults. You know you're worth it. We do too. So don't wait another second to get the degree that will take your career to the next level. Start your comeback today at purdueglobal.edu. Paid by up-level rewards. Paid participation required at your portrayal. Attention all listeners. Are you ready to earn $750? Well, get ready because I'm about to introduce you to GetMy750.com, the ultimate way to earn. Here's the scoop. Instead of just streaming shows or playing games on your phone for nothing, you have the chance to earn additional cash. That's right. From trying out new subscriptions to playing your favorite mobile games, you can get extra cash in your pocket. Simply sign up at GetMy750.com and follow the instructions to start earning immediately. So, what are you waiting for? Turn your favorite apps into real cash with GetMy750.com. Don't miss out on this incredible opportunity to earn rewards for things you're already doing on your phone. Check out GetMy750.com today. That's right. Get started right now at GetMy750.com. Just go to GetMy750.com or Google Get My 750 Cash. Follow the simple instructions and get your $750. That's GetMy750.com. GetMy750.com. You didn't grow up, you know, on a farm, like you said. What was that first thing that drew you to local farming? What was that first access point? I joined AmeriCorps and I was helping out at a food justice nonprofit in New York City. And before I joined AmeriCorps, I was buying food from the grocery store. You know, I was eating 
quick food from like halal carts in New York City. That was my food lifestyle. And then when I joined this nonprofit, it was the first time I was in- introduced to CSAs. And like I said before, I really fell in love with the way that it brought people together in New York City. Um, this was a time when like a lot of my family had moved out in New York. I was kind of here alone after college. So I loved how I could meet all these new people. And through this program, I got to visit a farm, a local farm, my first time ever being on a farm. And it was so beautiful. And the farmer made us food on the farm from like fresh veggies from our farm. And I was like, oh my God, like there's a life like this. And like, this is the way that food actually grows. This is crazy. And taste, right? It tastes different. Oh my God. It tasted amazing. And there was so much love. Like you really can taste love and food and there was just so much love that she had put into it it was really incredible and to be eating food overlooking this farm it that really had changed my life and now even when I go visit our farms like I've been to so many farms now but I'm always still amazed like I can't believe like this is what kale looks like and Mm -hmm. I can't believe that this is the way the world works because uh, something else I love about food it's not the flavor it's not the colors it's really the science behind it The way that food grows, it's so complex yet simple. And I really love constantly learning how nature takes care of itself. And if you allow nature to do what it should do, it will take care of you. You know, like we have a meat farmer on Long Island and he spends like 20 minutes, 30 minutes with the animals on the farm because he believes just to let mother nature be itself, right? Let let the animals live a completely natural life because this is just the way the world has been working until we kind of started interfering. Mm -hmm. Um, Yeah, but so anyway, that was my aha moment. And then from there, it's like the more I dive deeper into local food, the more I was getting to know farmers and the way that the food systems work, I just got more addicted. And like the more I saw the problems too, and I'm constantly learning about the issues in the food system. Every time I hear a problem, it's almost like lighting the flame inside of me of who I'm supposed to, to, to mm. become. Meaning like I hear a problem and I'm like, oh my God, I need to fix that. And I'm going to figure out how it works and how I can change that and try to rally people to get behind that. Like I know I'm not going to get every customer in New York City. That's just not who the company we are. And I have to accept that. But as many people as I can get part of this local roots movement to understand more the complexities about why our food system is so broken mm-hmm. and how it's really hurting people and hurting the world right. and how we can actually, there's actually a simple fix, right? It's just, you just eat local food. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I mean, it's, it's simple, but it's complex because the way in which we do everything needs to shift. I mean, I so appreciate what you're doing, though, because it was only until I went to grad school where at Columbia, where they're very focused on public health, did I even hear this word local food? One of my first assignments, I remember I sat down in class on one of the first days and the teacher said, where did the food that you ate last come from? And I'm like, uh, Whole Foods, the bodega across the street, you know, like that was my connection to where food came. And they and I have um, some of my students or my clients sometimes do this is to actually trace back where the food they ate came from and learning the origins. And sometimes it'll be, you know, Mexico or Panama and all these different places. And it, it brings some gratitude, first of all, but also some recognition of, holy crap, my food needs to travel really far to get to me. What does this mean about the food that I'm eating? What's what am I losing by the time, the travel, eating out of season, all these different questions come up. So, I mean, if I didn't go to graduate school, most people don't go to graduate school in nutrition at Columbia where they're going to be 
talking about this, this would be totally lost on me. So I think not everybody has that understanding of what does local even mean? And I remember learning about it being like, okay, well, this is the answer. Clearly, we just need to go back to everything being local. And it sounded like an impossible feat, you know, especially with all the big farmers out there who are in business with, I'm sure there's, there's all types of government things that actually take away from local small farmers thriving. I kind of felt like the pandemic was like that bubble bursting where we kind of had to come back to some sort of a local system. You know, here we were dependent on all these different things so far away when really we needed our communities to be serving us. So I think that the shift is coming, maybe. Yeah, I mean, I could definitely see how much people really valued a lot more supporting small local businesses also. I guess my response to you is like, it's kind of layered, but my our farmers, like the local farmers and small farms, they were able to shift their operations to address the pandemic way quicker than the large companies that would normally serve customers. People were telling me like, I can't get food from Fresh Direct. I'm having a hard time going to Whole Foods. There's a line to get food through Amazon. Mm-hmm. But there's a wait, you know? And I was like, well, like we shifted in two days. And so here we are. I would hear about other companies that it, would, it took them months to really shift to what they needed to do to serve the community. And it's the same thing with farms, you know, like uh, they, for example, they, a lot of egg farms, right? They're producing eggs for hospitals or institutions. So it's all wholesale. So they're putting eggs in like flats, not cartons. So you would sell eggs in like flats of 30 eggs. And when a lot of these wholesale accounts close, they're like, oh shit, we got to sell to customers, like retail customers. We don't have the functionality or even the egg cartons to sell to retail consumer. So it just took a lot of large farms a long time to be able to transition. Plus, if you think about any large company, right? You have lots of people who things have to go through. Mm. A small business, there's one, like my business, I was the only person to make the decision. I listened to my employees, but I was like, you know what, this is what we're doing. And we have to now just figure out how to do it. And mm-hmm. I think a lot of small farmers were like that. Okay, shit, this is what's happening. We don't have time to waste. We have to change everything and make everything workable for the pandemic. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So I definitely think that small businesses really came through for the community, which is great. And when you're talking about like, we are definitely privileged in the fact that like we were introduced to local food in ways that most people will not, right? Mm-hmm. At the same time, the world is not... I think how it was 10 years ago, right? Like Instagram, when I started my business was not even a company. So now that people can access all this information through social media, this is why you have your own podcast. This is why you have a platform on social media. This is why I do as many talks as possible. Like, you know me, like I'm always out at like any kind of panel conversation, any kind of event I can be at speaking. I don't get paid for any of this stuff, right? Like the majority of my social life is based around giving talks. I'm going to call it unlazy marketing. Like there's lazy marketing where you're going to pay a marketing firm to like come up with a cute way to get your word out and plaster it all over social media or whatever. And then there's unlazy marketing where you're showing up and giving this really emotionally laborious, having these hard talks every day. It's funny. I actually never realized until you just said that, that it is emotional because every time I give a talk, it's like I'm really faced with how the world perceives local food, you know? Mm-hmm. And it's a constant, it's good to me. It's a constant realization that yeah. people really see there's this huge hurdle 
And for me, I'm like, it's actually really easy. Like you don't have to make a huge shift in your lifestyle. Do not think that you're going to be me overnight. Like I eat 99% from local roots. I don't buy, I don't go to the grocery store, right? I'm not expecting anyone to do that. But what I can say to someone is, you know, it's good for you. You're super excited. You're at this talk. You're listening to this conversation, right? You're already amped up. Just consider like go buy some eggs from a local farmer or like just buy one bunch of carrots, right? And just trust the fact that you're slowly going to get more and more into it. So that's what I would say is that the information is out there and we're giving it to people. And I think we live in a world of like being perfectionist. I'm the same way with like working out, you know, I'm like, oh God, like if I'm not doing the right form of this thing, like why would I even bother doing it? Or if I don't like have a perfect routine about working out, why would I do it? Like you just have to go for an extra long walk, start from there, you know? Yeah. And I mean, just to be realistic too, or what I think is realistic, maybe you can correct me, like where I live on Long Island, even though I'm closer to the farmers than where you are in Manhattan, and just for anyone listening, it's kind of like the farms, then where I live, and then Manhattan, there's no farmer's market for me year round. So I have to go to a grocery store. There's, you know, you're not delivering to this area yet. To my knowledge, eating local is actually quite difficult unless there's something that that I'm missing. And I'm, you know, my audience is all over America. So I'm sure they can also relate to like, okay, well, there are no farmers anywhere around here, maybe for some of them. So there are some some obstacles. I mean, it's like interesting when you're in the city, there's less obstacles because most big cities have farmers markets in place, which is that direct connection between the largest gap. But sometimes the people closest to the farmers have struggled to get that local food. You're totally right. And I always forget that I live in this bubble of New York and even our, our well, farmers. I forget up- too, unless I'm, you know, it's here. I'm sorry, yeah, I didn't mean to interrupt it, you. No, and even our farmers upstate, I, I, I can see like, you know, most of their customer base is in New York City. <laughs> and that's how you for a bunch of different reasons. But okay, so one, one thing it's like local roots to me, it's very much about how do we make local food as streamlined into someone's life, which is why we serve all year round. We work with farmers We've invested in greenhouses so we can grow all year round. And I completely understand. Like that's only addressing New York City, right? Mm -hmm. I really hope that we can have multiple locations throughout the country. But even then, that's only addressing the communities that we're in, right? Mm -hmm. And it's really frustrating to me because I am probably oversimplifying or not understanding the complexities of the government. But it's frustrating to me that there is a simpler answer to fix this food problem. Mm. I think they just don't care you know like if this country just had greenhouses for farms to grow all year round you know if there was more advertisement more marketing in this country about eating fresh and local veggies and fruits and there's more databases about where is your closest farmer where is your closest market all that education could completely make they could make a huge difference when people shop and you're right like we just have to have more infrastructure to get the food to the people but you know, as a small business, we can only reach a small percentage. And I wasn't saying, you know, you're responsible for getting it to everybody, but I just meant sometimes, you know, we're going to inspire a lot of people right now to say, okay, I want to eat more locally. Where do I begin? And Mm -hmm. so the motivation's there, but then finding the resources, like I said, like I, how many times did I try to find the right CSA for me and it didn't happen. So I relied back on the same thing. So like you said, like we need to be more proactive as well as really take convenience out of 
it and um, just find the best options that are available for us. When I was at this nonprofit, that was I would what my job was was building resources for New Yorkers to start their own CSA. It's really how I got like the even the motivation or the idea that I can start my own kind of CSA. And this is for sure more work, but this is how the CSA movement started. Like it's not like a business started this. I had this idea and started it. It was housewives in Japan wanted better milk. They couldn't get it in the city. So they just found a farmer in the countryside and was like, hey, if we pull our money in, will you come to the city? Oh, wow. It has to be the right kind of personality of like a very DIY, like go-getter. But if you live in an area that doesn't have a CSA yet or a farmer's market, could you possibly reach out to a farmer nearby? And then could you possibly rally 20, 30 people to agree to buy the food and will this farmer drop off to you? Again, like it is work, but that's how it started. And then it, it, yeah. And then it grew from there. Mm-hmm. So I feel like it would be a missed opportunity to not speak about being a Chinese American right now, 2021 mm-hmm. and the difficulties. So first of all, just how are you? I, I feel really mixed emotions, you know, when it started to really peak, like there was so much happening with the violence against the Asian community. I booked a flight to Jamaica and it wasn't like I'm running away from my problems. It was more like I was so deeply emotionally engaged with it and constantly talking to people about it and sharing this news to other people that in order for me to like be a sane person, in order for me to like not hold so much anger inside of me, I had to take a break and at least I could share this information about what's happening, but also be in a happier place. So that's one thing. Like, so I definitely feel refreshed currently. It's strange because in some ways I think it's a good thing, right? Like you have to go through the storm to get the rainbow, whatever the hell that phrase is. Mm -hmm. So obviously this racism, it's been in this country forever. Like since the beginning of when Chinese people came to this country, white people have been racist against Chinese people. But a lot of people don't know about this history. I didn't even know about it until recently. And I didn't know how bad it was until recently. So in some ways, what's happening now, it's, it's helping to educate people about the history of racism. And it's also helping Asians to really rally and feel stronger to speak out against it and speak up for themselves. I'm obviously devastated because you're like, how could these, these victims are just like, they're usually elderly people, right? They're, mm-hmm. they're def- almost defenseless. I mean, one of them beat up her attacker, but it's so devastating to think about the ways that humanity is just kind of shitty, right? Like, I understand people have trauma and that their trauma, it could turn into very poor behavior, right? But I'm really sick of the way this country interacts with each other. Mm-hmm. I'm really sick of the ways that people are just bystanders. I think when you become complacent, it's almost as bad as doing the bad behavior. If you can't step in when you see something shitty, you're allowing someone to get hurt. You're telling that person it's okay to have this poor behavior. So these are just some thoughts I have. I definitely feel like where I live in Brooklyn, and I think in Brooklyn, I feel fine, but I definitely would feel more fearful going into Manhattan. I have a friend who is an ER doctor who messaged me yesterday. He was like, hey, do you have pepper spray? Like, I'm going to try to get you some. Oh my gosh. And I told him, I was like, yeah, that'd be great because I'm, I, I told myself, if I see someone get attacked, no matter how scary it is, Wenjay, you have to step in. You might get hurt, but at least for me, you know, I, I do, I train Muay Thai. I'm not saying I'm, I'm a good fighter, right? You're not training Muay Thai to, just to pick fights with people. Mm-hmm. I have a little bit more of a background of how I can defend someone. 
I want to be an example to people that like, yeah, it's scary. Yes, I'm a stranger to this person, but we owe it to each other in New York City to support each other. I had an incident on the subway. It wasn't horrible. It wasn't horrible, but someone was racist towards me and no one on the subway did anything. In fact, like two guys near me, like went to the other subway car to like not be part of this. And I was like, you guys, like, (laughs) I guess chivalry is dead. Was this recently? It was recently. And I was like, how are you not going to just at least stay by me to make sure nothing bad happens to me, you know? And I mean, as a Chinese American, who's you, were you born in, in Long Island? I was born in Connecticut, yeah. Okay, born in, in the U.S. You know, you, you mentioned a recent event, and I'm sorry to be so naive about the experience of being Chinese-American, but have you been experiencing racism your whole life here? Yeah, and okay, so if you think about being a woman, right, how many times have you been sexually harassed? You kind right. of laugh it off, totally, right? Totally. And you don't actually think, it doesn't register in your body or in your mind, I've been sexually harassed my entire life. I'm traumatized until you allow yourself to accept it. So it's the same way with me, right? Like I've had racist remarks thrown at me my entire life. And most of it's actually probably from friends, right? Like I don't live in a complete PC world. Like I'm all about like, you can throw jokes at each other. That's cool. But like, there's a certain degree where it gets too far, you know, and Mm -hmm. But when you're growing up in a mostly white town and you really just kind of want to fit in or you just don't want anyone to really notice how different you are, I'm always the first person to laugh. And, I, and you don't want to feel like you're too sensitive, right? So you always have to hope and interpret everything as a joke. But now that I'm older, I realize maybe it was a joke from my friends or maybe it was a joke from this person, but it also comes from a place of you're making fun of something. And it's only until through this pandemic that I've realized how much I really don't feel like I fit into this country. I don't know where I fit in. I've been kind of trying to like discover that recently, but I'm not really Chinese, right? Like I don't really fit into the American Valleys completely. I never have felt like this, this country has really accepted who I am. That really came through when I was an essential worker as like Trump was talking about this Kung flu virus. Mm-hmm. You know, it's like, I'm the one feeding Americans. I'm the one like literally on the street carrying vegetable boxes to people, wearing an N95 mask, working every single day, supporting my community. Mm. The people that work with me are mostly Mexicans that are also like not seen by Trump, I'm sure as a real American, but they're also the ones doing the work. And you're going to tell me and you're going to be instigating more fear and more racism against who I am. Mm -hmm. Like that is fucked up. And people are rallying against him. And then I was like, oh, my God, like I'm giving back to this country. I'm part of this country, but I'm not accepted. And that's really what I think people feel right now is like, how can you eat our food? How can you enjoy our culture? How can you watch movies that highlight our culture? But you don't really know who we are. And you don't have to, but you don't really accept or you don't love our culture, mm-hmm. right? Yes. It's a very superficial appreciation, which obviously is spoken about through Black Lives Matter. Also, I think with the situation now is that people have never registered that that the Asian community has experienced any of this stuff. And the fact that so many of these crimes that are happening aren't considered as hate crimes is devastating because one, it definitely changes the ways that um, these attackers are being prosecuted. But it also means that you're not the government or whoever, like, they're not even acknowledging that we could have racism against us. Mm-hmm. Right? It's right. like, we don't even value, like, we don't even matter enough for someone to have a hate crime against us. Mm-hmm. 
that's how I feel about the situation. Well, I want to thank you so much for sharing your experience from a very emotionally taxing place. I feel like even just those last 10 minutes, I could feel your, your energy and, you know, I'm, I'm listening and we're listening. And I hope that this country can feel like home to you sooner than than later and there's big changes that need to happen to to do that but you 100% are part of this country to me and all of our listeners and I appreciate your differences and wouldn't want you to be less you to fit into this world because I mean that's you're amazing you are who you are you're everybody is who they are and they need to be seen for those differences not try to blend in because there's only one way to look, act, feel, etc. And if we're going to be a country that says that we accept all people, well, we damn sure should be a country that actually accepts and most importantly, protects all people. For so. sure. Yeah. The whole protection is definitely key. Protect everyone equally. Protect everybody equally. And you really show up in these moments that are shining light on the issues that we have, not double down on why everything's okay. It's mm-hmm. okay to be, I believe that we can be quote unquote patriotic and also acknowledge our major flaws. Sure. There are huge freedoms in this country that aren't elsewhere, but there can still be flaws within and we can only address those flaws and be a better country if we take the complaints of the citizens and the people who live here seriously. No, but like, I think being patriotic is you love your country. If you love something, don't you want to help nurture it and help it grow? So for me, I'm like, I love this country, which is why I want to make it a better place. Otherwise, I would never have stayed here, you know? Wonderful. Or I'd be like, fuck it. Like, you keep on killing each other. I don't care. (laughs) But I care about the people here. I care about this country. And I want to see it become better. I think people can always grow. Right. And I think that's a beautiful new understanding of what patriotism should be versus what we think of, you know, right now. So thank you so much for your time today, um, your emotional energy, your physical labor into this world and for showing up with me. I so appreciate it. And I'm going to put all your information below so people can check out Local Roots New York City if they're in the area. Quick question. Do you deliver to Long Island yet? No, right? No, but we are really working. Let's make something happen this summer. I know. Okay, for sure. Let's chat offline. We'll do it. Okay. (laughs) All right. Thanks so much for your time. Thank you. You wouldn't expect to hear that we're America's third best city for beer like this one. Or home to vibes like this. And this. It might surprise you that we're top 10 for immersive art that's like. Whoa. And. Hmm. Not to mention, we have one of the top zoos in the country. So can a city with the country's best pro soccer team, ranking as a top culinary destination in the world, be in your own backyard? Yes, Columbus. Plan your summer at experiencecolumbus.com slash summer. During the Right Rug Flooring Hello Summer Sale, you'll find savings throughout the store, all backed by the right price guarantee, including carpet with a lifetime stain warranty, only $159 installed with pad. That's right, $159 includes expert installation as soon as tomorrow. Visit rightrug.com, R-I-T-E-R-U-G.com to find a showroom near you or schedule a free in-home shopping appointment. Say hello to summer and save. Right Rug Flooring, right here, right now. Trinity School of Natural Health can help you be part of the fast-growing health and wellness industry. With an education that empowers communities, Trinity grads can change lives by applying natural health principles and techniques in holistic practices or stores selling nourishing health products. 
offering 19 online programs that fit your busy schedule. You'll get training to help turn your passion into a career. Enroll today at trinityschool.org. That's trinityschool.org.